Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me is my colleague, Peter Flaherty. Millie is here. She just... Uh, She's just got a carrot. Hopefully that'll keep her distracted. But she's already had thoughts about college baseball today. So we'll uh, we'll see if we get some more of those as uh, as the podcast continues. It is uh, it's May now. And so that means we're pushing ever closer towards the start of the postseason and towards Selection Monday. Uh, It also means that, you know, we're we're in the middle of finals. So this week in college baseball has been a little little strange. Uh, not a very heavy midweek slate. Uh, this weekend involves, uh, you know, some buys, some non-conference series as uh, everyone just kind of fits the uh, the academic or the, the, the sports around the academics. Uh, it is just that time of year, Peter, but we still have a lot to get to. It was an exciting weekend uh, around the sport uh, and it, it should still be a good one uh, as as we come into it here. You know, and, and we've got we've got some rivalry games uh, in the midweeks. We, we've uh, we've got some big big series this weekend. A lot to get to here uh, on the podcast today. Yeah, well, it's a choir week. There are still a few series that I'm particularly excited about, and I know you are too. And then last weekend, there's a lot to unpack with a couple of marquee ACC series: Auburn taking down South Carolina. Arizona State, Oregon, and then the one that I think we both were most excited about with Duke and UVA, as well as Kentucky and Vanderbilt. So while it's a little bit quieter this week, as you mentioned, with the academic aspect, we kind of tend I I tend to forget at least that these these guys are actually their students too, and they've got lives outside of college baseball. So quieter week this week, but um, still a lot to 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 break down as always. Absolutely, and let's uh, let's start in the ACC. Uh, let's uh, let's shake things up. I, we always start in the SEC, and that's usually because they have some marquee series. And uh, it's not to say that they didn't, but let's uh, let's start in the ACC. You mentioned Duke and Virginia. That was one that we were really excited about going into the weekend. It was for first place in the ACC Coastal, and some of the reasons why I was excited, at least, was just that Duke has uh, had been surging. They were, I don't want to say they're the new kid on the block here, but like a a few weeks ago, if you listen to the podcast, you'll have heard me say that like Virginia had run, like was threatening to run away with the coastal and like, it just felt like Wake and and Virginia were on a different level in the ACC. Uh, And Virginia's like fully come back to the pack now. And Duke is, uh, has surged past them into first place. and, And that continued this weekend in Charlottesville. Uh, the team split the first two games, uh, Duke winning on, on Friday and then Virginia coming back to, to set up a rubber game on Sunday. And Duke went out there and, and they won that one as well to take the series uh, at Virginia. Duke is now moved into the top 10 in the, the top 25. They're uh, up there in RPI as well. They're in first place in the division and they just completed, Peter, one of the 
one of the absolute better months uh, around the sport. They went like 18 and three in April. And so they go from it being a team that had started the year all right, just kind of they were they're out there doing their thing, looked like a, a, a you know, a, a team that, that could probably be in the middle of the ACC pack, but certainly did not portend, uh, you know, first place being a potential national, you know, top eight seed and uh, a top 10 team in the, the top 25. Uh, and then they just like they they went on an absolute rampage uh, through the month of April and, and they wrapped it up uh, in, in big time fashion with that series win in Charlottesville. Yeah, like you said, Duke went from after the first month and a half of the season, they went from pretty solidly a tournament team. I, I think no one was arguing that, but they went from kind of your run of the mill normal tournament team to now looking like they're in a spot where they're going to have to play themselves out of a top eight national seed, or at least kind of do some damage to themselves to not have a top eight national seed. And I was super excited coming into this weekend because I think it was going to, it was going to show us a lot about who Duke was as a team, even though UVA had been scuffling, this was still going to be a test going on the road where UVA is so good at home. Their lineup is still excellent, and Duke rose to the occasion. And on Friday night, they set the tone for the entire series with that um, with that seventeen to five beatdown. So I thought they looked really good. They looked like a really well rounded team too. It didn't they didn't win, you know, um, because of I guess lack of pitching on the UEA side. Um, their staff was also excellent. We alluded to it over the on the podcast last week, but Duke has unbelievable amount of arms that they can trust in, in big situations. They've got about a dozen or so. And the series was interesting strategically um, because on Friday night, Duke won that 17 to five game. They won it big. And then on Saturday, it was pretty close until UVA in the sixth inning. They, they scraped across a few runs to go up six to two, which, it's a commanding, but not um, not a lead that's insurmountable. But Duke almost opted, at least in my eyes, it looked like they were like, okay, UVA is probably going to take this one. Let's let's essentially punt this game and and get back to it for Sunday. And it worked perfectly. They, they come out in the first, they hang three runs, and they never look back. And um, Alex Stone and MJ Metz had excellent weekends. Obviously, Alex Mooney made his had his fingerprints all over the box score, but um, they got two veterans to produce. The pitching was great. I was particularly impressed and continue to be impressed with Andrew Healy, Fran O'Shell, and James Talon. O'Shell and Talon in the back end of the bullpen, that's as good of a duo as I think you're going to find not only in the ACC but around the country. Each provide a super unique look for hitters really loud stuff. Um, and then on offense, they did all of this without likely freshman All-American Andrew Fisher, who's hitting over 300, has 10 home runs in the year, um, and they still go out and take a series on the road at UVA. So really, really blown away by the Blue Devils. As far as UVA goes, I can't really say that that this changes my perception of them all that much because coming into it, they were scuffling in ACC play. They looked kind of like a really good team, not necessarily an elite team. And I can't say that this lowers my stock on them that much. I don't know. 
at least on the pitching side. They certainly don't have the depth that Duke does. And I question their depth a little bit as we head into postseason play. I just, I'm not sure if, if in a regional setting, if they go to that fifth game or in a super regional, they go to that third game, how they're going to hold up. So I, I think I'm, I'm far more bullish on Duke going forward than I am UVA. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I said they were 18 and three in April. It was actually 15 and three. Uh, so big, big difference there. <laughs> uh, but you mentioned Alex Stone and he, uh, he also was on fire in April. He has, he does an 18 game hitting streak, which obviously coincides with, uh, with their run in April, probably not coincidentally. He's uh, he homered in each of the games this weekend. I mean, anytime you can get a catcher that's hitting 302 with 12 homers, I mean, I think that's a that's a pretty good building block for your offense. And I, I really like what Duke is doing offensively. I, I think that their pitching staff is great, and obviously that uh, you know they've they've got those guys at the back end and. Um, if you look at the, at the national rankings, like they're really high in team ERA, like this is a really good, solid pitching staff, but I also just like what they do offensively. It's a lot of guys that make a lot of contact. They've got some power in there. It's not like they don't have a 20 home run guy, not now, or probably by the end of the season, I guess I have to to specify that in, in 2023 college baseball terms, nobody has hit 20 home runs today for Duke, but I also don't know that any of them are going to get there, but they've got. They've got four guys with double-digit home runs. There's power throughout the lineup. They've got some speed. I, I just think that it's a, it's a solid offensive team, and it fits their ballpark pretty well. Uh, it fits what they their entire identity is. And they're just playing incredibly well right now. I, I, you know, I, I don't know that there is a ceiling here. You know, like I, I, Like you said, I feel much better about them moving forward uh, than UVA. And I, I think that, you know, this is a really exciting time for Duke. They've got a, a, an incredible chance to, to host a regional. They've got a very real chance to be a top eight seed. Um, I, you know, th- this is a program, and I, I believe we talked about this last week, but I, it's worth just restating that, like, this was a program that when Chris Pollard and his staff arrived in Durham a decade ago, they hadn't been to the NCAA tournament since the 60s. And now we're talking about uh, a, a team that, you know, could be a, a top eight national seed. And they're doing it at Duke, which is, you know, a, it's a difficult academic institution, uh, which, you know, isn't a disqualifier in, in baseball in any way. Like, just ask Vanderbilt and Stanford about that. But, you know, it, it's not, you know, you have to find the right kind of player to go to Duke. And then they're also doing it like, yes, they have an on-campus stadium in Jack Coombs park, but they mostly play at the AAA ballpark. And uh, you know, Durham Bulls athletic park is a beautiful stadium, but it's also way, way, way bigger than what Duke needs. And uh, you know, so you go in there and it's not like there's a a ton of uh, uh, you know, there are a ton of empty seats, you know, it's not like a, a, a great atmosphere necessarily, there are a lot of reasons why they play there and it's again it's a great stadium and, and they've made it work but it's like this is not building this program has not been easy and getting it to a point where we're talking about them as a top 10 team and where they can very reasonably sit here and not just i project them as top eight national seeds but like there's a very clear path to that happening for duke and 
I, I just think that's that that's been a remarkable rise and and the way that they played uh, or have been playing throughout the month of April has uh, has been outstanding. Now they are off this weekend for the most part. They have a, a a game on Sunday, but they're out of ACC play. They're in their finals break and. We'll see if they can maintain their momentum through that, but I, I have no reason to believe that they can. And I mean, this is a team again that has it all to play for ahead of them, and, and I just really excited about what that means for uh, for this year's Blue Devils, without a doubt. And and you brought up such a good point about the high academic aspect, and it's it's not impossible to do. I mean, even just look at UVA, what they have done, and then obviously you uh, Vanderbilt and Stanford, as you mentioned, but it just is another variable to add when you're out there recruiting, when you're looking to add guys into the port from the portal. Um, it's just another thing to, to have to work around. And the fact that time and time again, coach Pollard and his staff have hit on, on so many guys, it's, it's a testament to their evaluating skills, it's a testament to their development. And they know, really, really well, the types of guys that are going to get into their program and thrive. Um, so I, I've been impressed with them and, and Ty Blankmeyer on that staff, I think, um, son of St. John's coaching legend, coach Ed Blankmeyer. Um, he's, he's a really valuable addition. Um, he was a former Northeast area scout for the Brewers. Um, he's a really, really good evaluator of talent. He's young and has that relatability factor with the college kids. And, and he's just been excellent on, on the staff. So really good times, obviously this year, and then going forward, they're going to be in a really good spot to, to be very competitive for a very long time. And in looking at their schedule, it is a favorable kind of week and a half, two weeks as they head into its final series down in Coral Gables with Miami. It's you get a doubleheader against Longwood, a midweek series against Ryder, and then a home series against Georgia Tech, which I think is a really favorable matchup for him. So all they're going to do, I think, is build off of their excellent April and and head into postseason play as as a as as one of, if not the hottest team in the country. Uh, you mentioned they're bringing on Ty, and and he was a volunteer assistant for for Wake Forest last year. And when Duke lost uh, Josh Jordan to LSU in the off season, uh, they were able to uh, to bring Ty on, and, and like you said, great hire. Uh, Chris Pollard made two great hires this year, bringing bringing Ty and Brady Kirkpatrick on onto the staff, and uh, he's a guy that that has hired very well. I mean, Josh Jordan was uh, 2018 assistant coach of the year, and obviously has uh, now moved on to LSU, but, um, you know, Pollard has had to hire a few different pitching coaches oftentimes because they keep getting bigger jobs. Uh, and he's, uh, he's pretty consistently hit on them. And so I, that, that just adds to, to what he has, uh, what, what he's been building. And I'm excited to see where it goes from here. I never would have thought at the start of the season that that last regular season series uh, between Duke and Miami would be for first place in the in the division, but it looks like it will be. And maybe there will be even more on the line, or maybe by then Duke and or Miami will have locked up a, uh, a top eight seed and, and we'll be, just be talking about it as, as this really compelling series between two really good teams. But uh, that's getting way down the road with, uh, uh, with, with Duke. For now, they're, uh, they're, they're certainly going to be happy with the way that they 
they played in April as one of, if not the hottest teams uh, in the country. Virginia, meanwhile, in April went the opposite direction. UVA went just five and nine in ACC play during the month. They they lost four of their five series. They did sweep Miami in uh, in April, so that's a, it's a big plus for them. But otherwise, it was kind of a month to forget. Uh, the good news for the Who's is that they started the season so incredibly well that I still have them projected as a host. The margin for error on that is pretty close to being eliminated. They have to get out of this swoon. Uh, easier said than done, of course. Uh, they are also on finals break now. It's it's a team that I look at and I still think that they should be pretty good. Like They should be able to get out of this. Um, they're not dealing with a ton of different injuries or anything. That it, It's not like their offense is backed up significantly. I just think that they may, maybe this is a good time to hit a reset button for them. And, and if they're able to do so and, and, and finish with a, a couple good weeks, you know, Virginia still can be in a, a pretty solid spot as the postseason begins. Yeah, I, I think this finals break has come. It, it couldn't have come at a better time, actually, because it. It was a tough month for them. I, I think that you're still looking at a really good team. But as you said with Duke, how there really isn't a ceiling for them. I think that there is, in a sense, for, for this UVA team. As we've talked about so many times, how how big of a factor depth plays in, in how far your team can go in a tournament-type setting. Well, they do have that on offense. I'd put their lineup up against any team in the country, um, for that matter, with Kyle Teal and Jake Geloff, as well as Griff O'Farrell. Um, that's a really deep bunch that can hit for power and average. I mean, they'd go toe-to-toe with anyone. But on the mound is where I question it just a little bit. Um, Brian Edgington's been good, as well as Nick Parker, but they've also been a little inconsistent. Out of the bullpen, they've got a bunch of solid guys. It's just tough to, and granted, they they do have the talent there to to make a run. I just don't know necessarily how how well the pitching is going to hold up when you're playing so many games in in such little time. So, well, I do have faith in the lineup that they're going to continue to hit and produce, which I'd be shocked if they didn't. Um, they're I'm I'm very curious to see what happens once we get into the tournament. And looking ahead for them, it is a pretty, I think, somewhat favorable rest of the season. You have this break for finals, which it's in I can't overstate how valuable that is to get guys rest and mentally just push a reset button and flush whatever April was and get to a completely new page because even after all of that, you still are in a good spot to host. Um, and I think that, like you said, they can't have any hiccups there to, to play themselves out of a hosting spot, but with who they have left, I think that they are in a good spot to take a series from home at Louisville and then going on the road to Georgia tech that I, gosh, I can't even imagine how many runs will be scored in that series, but that I I think that they do win these last couple of ACC series and, and hang on to a hosting bid, but, um, just a little wary of, the depth or I guess lack thereof in the, on the, on the pitching side of things. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And I think that this is kind of what we expected UVA to be coming into the season, just in terms of like the offense would be really good and had some questions about the pitching staff. 
and maybe they overperformed a little bit in the first half of the season and maybe they underperformed a little bit in April and maybe they'll find their a little better level in May. I do agree that that's a favorable closing schedule. Louisville is uh, really fighting it right now. And Georgia Tech is in last place in this division now. The downside of that is that both Louisville and Georgia Tech uh, are going to be really fighting for things when they when they play Virginia. Uh, Louisville is trying to make the NCAA tournament, like trying to, to build a resume capable of doing that. And Georgia Tech still at that point probably is going to be fighting for a spot in the ACC tournament. So uh, there is a little a little bit of like, well... You know, the, the, those two teams are, are, are certainly going to not roll over for Virginia uh, and, and make it easy for them to get back on track. But they, it, it is a, a reasonable schedule there uh, for the Hoos to finish the season. Uh, so if if it weren't for Duke being you know 15 and three in April, we, we would be spending probably a little bit more time talking about how good Clemson has been of late. The Tigers are also surging. Uh, they went up to BC and won a series last weekend. And you know, Clemson has, uh, you know, early in the season they they struggled. Uh, they dealt with some injuries. You know, first year coaching staff trying to figure out the team, team trying to figure out them. Took a little bit of time, but they did it. And now Clemson has won. Uh, I think it's four straight. Yeah, four straight series. Uh, they're they've pushed themselves into the top fifteen in RPI. Um, this is a team that a week ago, I wasn't even sure about making the NCAA tournament. And now you can map out a path for them to get to a place where they could host a regional. Um, they still have a lot of work to do to do that, but they are playing so much better right now. Uh, they've really figured out some things on, on, on the pitching side, just both in terms of who needs to be in what roles and, and health wise. And, uh, I've also just been really impressed with Caden Grice, who, you know, has been, I haven't run the number, like I, I, I have not gone out and started building an All-American team, but Caden Grice might be the best two-way player in the country, or at least he is certainly like right there in the mix. Uh, he had uh, probably the best start of his career in the finale against BC, throwing eight innings. He continues to be an integral part in, uh, in the Clemson lineup. You know, I, I guess when I say could be the best two-way player in the country, everyone's going to say, well, what about Jack? And like, look, Jack Haglianone is, uh, is incredible, but I just feel like Grice is maybe more meaningful to his team uh, in both directions, you know, on both offense and, and on the mound. Um, You know, he's, he's just been so good lately for Clemson. And uh, I I think he's certainly building himself an all American candidacy. Like you mentioned with Grice, and when we got into talking about Clemson, he was the player I was really going to hit on. I I think that, well, I may give the nod to actually just it's so hard to ignore what what Caglione's done. So I he is I, the nation's leader in home runs. You know, <laughs> I'd give <laughs> him the best pitch. <laughs> I'd give him the best two way nod, um, and then probably Peyton Tolley at Wichita State next. But Grice is right there in that handful of guys. And you mentioned the meaningfulness of the club. I think that without Caden Grice, this is, this looks a lot. This is a Clemson team that looks a lot different from a record standpoint. He has gotten back to that freshman, all American guy at the plate. He's made some tweaks that I think have been really valuable. He's a little more upright. His swing is a lot less steep. It's a more direct path to the baseball and it shows his swing and misses down. His contact rates are up and he's still hitting the ball hard. I mean, he's a big kid. 
with a lot of raw power. But as you mentioned, whenever there's a new staff, there are going to be growing pain. There are inevitable growing pains, whether it's, it's guys getting used to a new, a whole new coaching staff and, and how they go about things, whether it's a new coaching staff looking to see how guys fit, what each player brings to the table, what they can get out of each guy. So there is a little bit, while you do have fall practice, you don't know what that's going to look like in a game setting. So you've got to adjust on the fly as you go through the season. And we saw that early on with Clemson and granted it was a tough schedule. UCF is a good team and that they got swept by and the UCF bat issue is a whole other thing to go down, but there might be a slight asterisk next to that sweep. And then it's a series loss against South Carolina where they played the, they played the Gamecocks pretty well. They won the first game of the series and, and dropped a close one to lose it. And then after that, they, they quietly picked things up. It was kind of a, a, a nice stretch that had a, a series loss to Georgia tech in there, but following the sweep against wake forest, where it was put up or shut up time for them, they, they put up and it started with a huge midweek win over coastal. And then they've coasted, as you've said, to these four straight ACC series wins um, and with the exception of Florida State, it's looking like all th- that three of the four have come over tournament teams. So it's a and they've played themselves solidly in, into from an RPI standpoint. They're at 12 right now. There's a way for them right as crazy as it is. There's a there's a route for them to host a regional at this point. And I, I think that it's a solid team. And you look up and down their lineup, Cam Canarilla, freshman has been great. Caden Grice, obviously, both from a power and average standpoint. Clemson football player and wide receiver Will Taylor has has been excellent as a as an outfielder. Super athletic. Shocking, I know, um, that the Clemson wide receiver is a really good athlete. But he's got good baseball sense, too. He's not this bull in a china shop that is just kind of out there showing off his freakish athletic ability and going one for four, zero for four with a few Ks. Um, he's got good feel for the barrel at the plate. He's got some impact. And then guys like Blake Wright and Cooper Ingle as a supporting cast. So it's a really well-rounded team. Caden Grice on the mound, best start of his career, I think over the first two college seasons. Um, for Grice, he threw something like 16 innings or 20 innings on the mound. Whatever it was, it wasn't a lot comes out in a series deciding game and a big one at that and turns in the best outing of his career, eight innings, two hits, nine K's up to 94 from the left side. The slider will flash above average and the chain up changeups got some sharp downward bite to it. Um, but he's been really good as a member of the rotation. So, um, this is certainly a team that nobody's going to want to play. I think in a regional because they're going to be playing their best baseball um, whether that is a, a regional held at Clemson or on the road and looking at what they've got next, it's it's kind of the anti-Duke and UVA. It is a, a really tough stretch for them, I think, with Louisville midweek against Coastal and then their last two ACC series against a strong Virginia Tech team and a North Carolina team, respectively, that kind of what you said about, I, I think it was either – you said it about some teams, but Virginia Tech and UNC are going to have a lot to play for. So there's no doubt that that you're going to be seeing the, that Clemson's going to be seeing the best versions of the Hokies and Tar Heels. So tough draw ahead, but Clemson is a team I'm very optimistic about as we as we lurch towards the postseason. 
Yeah, that schedule is part of the reason why a week ago I had concerns about Clemson, why I had them as being, I, I actually had them as bubble out a week ago, um, like the first team out of the field. Because in the ACC, there's just, you have to go back to 2016 to find a team that's gotten in with a losing record in conference play. And look, every year is different. Maybe this year will be the year that somebody breaks through and RPI matters to if when you're looking at that and Clemson has an elite RPI, blah, 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 blah. But the fact is that they still have a very difficult closing schedule. That said, the fact that they went on the road to BC and won a series makes me feel a lot better about the teams that they're going to be playing down the stretch. You know, Louisville, UNC, Virginia Tech, these are all teams that are also fighting uh, for bubble spots. And, you know, so they're good teams. They're, they have a lot to play for. Uh, but I, at, at this point, I, I just feel like Clemson has maybe emerged from that pack. Uh, certainly they could still get dragged down into it, but they, uh, they, the way that they've played the last four weeks, I feel like has shown that they're ready to, uh, to take on those kinds of challenges. And now is that good enough to kick on and, and host a regional? We'll just have to see. Um, you see this a lot of years that somebody often feels like they're in the ACC, uh, gets hot in the, the second half of the season, didn't get talked a whole lot about in the first half ends up hosting a regional, you know, it happened last year with North Carolina, uh, Florida state's done it in recent years. Like, you know, it, it definitely can happen. And maybe that's what we're seeing with, uh, with Clemson right now. No, I was going to say, if they end up hosting a regional coach back, is going to be on the, the very short list for, for a, a lot of coach of the year awards. So, um, Stiff well, this, competition for ACC Coach of the Year. I was going to say, with Coach Coach <laughs> Pollard does exist too. Uh, well, and, and Tom Walter. I mean, like the fact that they are as good as they are at a place like Wake Forest. I mean, like he should not get penalized for just because we thought Wake was going to be good. Like they still had a lot to do to to get to the point where they're at. I mean, like any of those guys, and you know, if if BC finishes, Mike Gambino. I mean, like they're incredible coaching jobs happening this year in the ACC. Right, exactly. And in a year where with a new staff, oftentimes it's kind of treated as you're playing with the house's money, so to speak. Um, but they they haven't missed a beat, and he's got a really good nucleus around him from a coaching standpoint. So I think that this is just the, the tip of the iceberg for Clemson going forward. Quiet week around the ACC in some respects this week. Like I mentioned, a lot of these teams are on uh, on finals break. Uh, we do have a, a pretty significant series in Winston-Salem, though, as Boston College heads down to uh, to play Wake Forest. You know, I say significant. It's two ranked teams against each other. It should be a really fun series. I'm looking forward to it. But in terms of what's on the line, like BC kind of needs a result here they have their finals break a a week from now so they only have six acc games left they kind of need a result here to avoid some drama uh like if they could win a game this weekend it would make me feel a lot better about them and it would really keep them in the hosting race if they were able to to do something this weekend wake forest just playing for the number one overall seed in the tournament but that being said wake forest uh Incredible team, obviously. Anytime you can watch them play against a really good team like BC, that's uh, that's fun. And BC is a team that's not going to be phased going down there. They've played at Tennessee. They've played in some really tough environments already and won in some really tough environments. Uh, so I, I, I think that's probably the the best series of the weekend in the ACC. But also, uh, like we mentioned, Louisville and Clemson has uh, has some real bubble significance as well. 
Yeah, and BC, as you mentioned, they're a team that they're not going to be phased at all by going on the road into an intimidating road environment at that with this year. I mean, year in and year out, they don't get a true home game until almost or even after a month into the regular season. So, and and this year they've they've racked up impressive wins on the road with at Lindsey Nelson Stadium against Tennessee. They won that series in Blacksburg. So, they're certainly no strangers to pulling off big road wins. Now, I do think Wake is by far the best team that they've seen all year um, on the road. And um, it's, like you said, it, it gets a little hairy for them when looking at their schedule. It gets a little hairy for BC, rather, um, when looking at their schedule, that magic number of 15 ACC wins. They've got two series to do it with wake and notre dame i think that they really need to just go down and win one game against wake forest however that comes whether that's avoiding a sweep on sunday or you know you you steal one for on friday or saturday but um i think a sweep would put them in a really odd spot because notre dame is a solid team and a sweep would be hard for to pull off of the fighting irish and looking at BC, I think that they're they're a good, not great team. They're built on timely hitting and pitching. On the pitching side of things, they throw quality strikes. No one has on the staff, at least from what I've seen, no one has overwhelming stuff like blow you away, thunderous stuff. Joey Ryan out of the bullpen probably is the best of the bunch. He's got a plus change up up to ninety two, but they're they're a really scrappy kind of northeast team. They just they they beat you and it, it's kind of a death by a thousand paper cuts. It's just a lot of guys stringing together clutch hits. You look up at the end of the game and you lose six to four to them. So is that the type of team that can beat Wake Forest? Which in some people's mind, and there's certainly an argument to be made there that they're the best team in the country. It's especially at Wake Forest in the environment that they have. Um, not only are the Deeks 24 and one at home, but the ball flies and their lineup is one of the best in the country. I, do I think that's a formula for success down there? No, but I, I, I do think that I think that it, it sets up well for BC because like I said, they are a good team. I think that they can steal one on Sunday to avoid a sweep. And then that gives they can breathe a little bit of a sigh of relief because I do think that that they certainly don't get swept by Notre Dame and they get to that 15 ACC win. So uphill battle for them to host, but I I think that they still sneak their way into a into a regional. Yeah, BC has only been swept once this year. That was at Louisville. Um, so if they can just avoid that this weekend, I, really all it is they can just win one this weekend then the final weekend against Notre Dame just doesn't become must win like that that I would not want to go into that series with that much pressure on me you know like if if you can just avoid that level of pressure on that kind of series I I I think it would be advantageous um obviously so if you can if you can go out find a win uh this weekend at Wake Forest I, I think they'll be in uh just fine shape moving forward and you know, it's uh, it's a team that, that's perfectly capable of doing that. And even if it ends up being that they need to beat Notre Dame twice on the, the final weekend of the regular season, I, I think BC can get that done at home. If they if they have higher ambitions 
this weekend is a major, major opportunity uh, for BC to uh, to try and advance those. Yeah, I was going to say on the flip side, if they can somehow go down and be the first team this se- this season to win a series at Wake Forest, then you're solidly talking about a host. And then, I mean, their RPI is going to be in a good enough spot where, you know, who knows what kind of a Nash, uh, what kind of a top sixteen seed we're talking about if they can rack up a couple of series wins to to close the season. Absolutely, and you know, look, all we have to do is go back a week. Uh, and we'll see Auburn going out and beating South Carolina on the road. If you need a little bit of inspiration, uh, South Carolina had not lost a, a home series before last weekend. We're going to talk about that uh, and more. We're going to go out west here in a second. Uh, but first, check this out. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. All right, Peter, uh, I did intend to head to the Pac-12 a little bit faster than this, but 
because we were just talking about what what could be on the table for BC if they uh, if they were to go out and become the first team to to win a series against uh, against Wake Forest and, and do it in Winston Salem. Let's let's rewind the clock a, a week and let, let's talk about Auburn doing much the same thing uh, at South Carolina. The Gamecocks came into last weekend having lost just once at Founders Park. Uh, that was a game against LSU. And they were playing Auburn, a team that was coming off of a nice series win against Mississippi State, but, you know, is mired in the lower third, middle third, I guess, of of the SEC, certainly not on the level of, of the South Carolina, LSU, Arkansas, Vanderbilt, Florida crowd. Uh, and, you know, South Carolina had, had just swept Florida uh, at, at home. And here comes Auburn. And what does Auburn do? But they go out and they win the first two games of that series. A uh, huge result for the Tigers. We're talking about a team that was, you know, ha- has been on the bubble, continues to be on the bubble, but now on the right side of the bubble uh, after the last two weeks. And uh, I did not see that coming at all. Uh, the way Auburn hit the ball uh, over the weekend after what South Carolina had done to shut Florida down was uh, w- was massively impressive. They uh, the, the the Tigers really found something uh, last weekend, and and teams just hadn't done that to South Carolina this year. Certainly not in Columbia. Like Vanderbilt did win a series against South Carolina, but that was in Nashville, and uh, you know playing South Carolina at Founders Park is just different. But Auburn comes away with a, a huge series win. And as you mentioned, Auburn was a team that after the baseball version of the Iron Bowl, which at the time it was played, we had kind of viewed that as whoever comes out of this series it, with a win is on the right side of the bubble with a loss. You're on the outside looking in. Auburn obviously on the outside looking in. And then they get a nice series win against Mississippi State. And after this weekend, I think that they're they're squarely in the tournament picture. Um, and I was really, I, I I really liked and was impressed by how alive their bats looked. Um, obviously, Founders Park is a very hitter friendly environment, but they hit ten home runs over the course of a three game series. Cooper McMurray, Bobby Pierce, and Bryson Ware in particular were really good. Um, Bryson Ware hit three home runs on the weekend. Um, or no, he had two, sorry, in the Sunday finale, but they, they looked like a really sound club. They threw the ball really well and South Carolina's offense, especially in founders park is, is incredibly difficult to navigate. They are dealing with some injuries on the infield, um, that has them bringed up, particularly with Braylon Wimmer, who is a, an outstanding player and a legit draft prospect, but that's nothing to discount what the Tigers were able to do. So coming out of the weekend, I think that that Auburn is in a, is in a good spot to make a regional. Now it doesn't get any easier for them because they get LSU. Um, But looking ahead after LSU there, there are opportunities there to rack up another couple of sec series wins to, to close out the year and get to that potentially 13, 14 win threshold. Um, And then if you can win one in Hoover, you're probably in a really good spot to to make a regional. So an unbelievably important win for Auburn, a really good one at that, and and one that on Selection Monday we're probably going to look at as 
the the series win that that got him into into the NCAA tournament. Auburn, you mentioned the way that they they pitched this weekend, and I you know I I know I led with the the hitting and and just nineteen runs and fourteen and a third against the the South Carolina starters. Like they got those starters all out early, and and they again had just pitched so well against Florida that that stood out to me. But you know, look, Auburn is not. A pitching team. They're 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 supposed to be able to hit. They came into the weekend uh, last place in the SEC uh, in Team ERA at six forty seven. Uh, they did not finish in last place in Team ERA. We'll we'll get to Mississippi State in a little bit here, but they came in last in the SEC in, in, in Team ERA, and uh, they they held South Carolina to sixteen runs on the weekend, and. Uh, th- that's that doesn't sound like a a, a, a super low number. But that's the second lowest number for a weekend series for South Carolina this year. Uh, Penn held them to 14 runs in February before South Carolina, I think, was fully weaponized. And also the, um, you know, the colder weather impacts offense and also Penn can pitch. But I, that was uh, that was big. And I don't know if Auburn has resolved its problems on the mound but if they're able to build off of that weekend, I, I just think that has kind of, I don't want to say season-changing potential, uh, but that, that definitely has the potential to, to really be, be big for them down the stretch because that lineup is, is old, it's offensive. You know, Cole Foster, Bryson Ware, Cooper McMurray, like these are guys that, that can really impact a baseball. And if they have... Um, you know, the, a, a solid pitching staff behind them. I, I, I think this is a team that I would not want to face uh, in May, uh, or at least is going to make life very difficult for, uh, for teams down the stretch. Absolutely not. And, and it is a, it is an experienced bunch. Uh, their starting nine is um, like you said, they, there are some veterans there, but also freshman like Irish has been great. And then that middle of the order, it's going to be, for any team to navigate, it's a difficult lineup and we saw their power prowess and how they can change the game in one swing this weekend. If their pitching can step up down the stretch and, and have guys somehow turn that corner as we head into the most meaningful baseball of the year, um, they're going to be a really intriguing team if they get a, a favorable draw in a regional setting. Now that's not me saying that I think they're going to beat LSU this weekend. If they beat LSU this weekend in a series, then I think the discussion about Auburn really changes, but yes, um, no, for sure. They're in a good spot as they head into May and a team that teams are going to have to really watch their back for as, as we head into the tournament. On the flip side, you mentioned South Carolina's injury situation and it is, uh, I don't want to say it's dire, but it's, it, they're stacking up Braylon Wimmer, uh, their shortstop left Friday's loss. The hamstring injury, Mark Kinston said in the immediate aftermath of that, he expected him to miss a couple weeks. Uh, Will McGillis, their second baseman, already out with a broken forearm. Uh, Talmadge Lecroy had his own hamstring injury. So those three guys were out pretty much the whole weekend once Wimmer went out. You know, McGillis and Lecroy were, were out the whole weekend. Uh, all of them are expected to return by the time the tournament starts. I have questions about, you know, anytime you break or have an injury to your hand or forearm that really impacts your power moving forward, especially uh, now McGillis is not like a hawked out power hitter, but he has some pop. And so I'll be interested to see 
what he looks like moving forward. If South Carolina can just get a little bit healthier on the infield, like they are, this is this is a really tough spot for them to be in. It's really affecting a lot of different things. Like Cole Messia uh, has had to move from behind the plate to third base, and um, you know they've they, they've just got guys in positions where they're capable of playing, but they wouldn't have wanted it to to shake out this way. Uh, so getting healthy is probably the number one thing for South Carolina. It's going to take a little bit of time to do that, but once they're healthy. Um, you know, I, I still feel good about South Carolina moving forward. I'll feel great once they're healthy. Uh, I, I would not worry too terribly much about this, uh, but it is, uh, it, it is just a, a it, like not everything is perfect in Columbia. And, you know, that sweep of, of Florida was incredible, but there is still some, some things for them to work on, obviously. Yeah. And I'm not necessarily worried or, nearly or even close to to feeling some kind of panic about South Carolina but at some point the injuries that you're dealing with are going to be felt and we saw that this weekend and you made a great point with guys like Talmadge LaCroix with the forearm and you know when you're coming back from something like that getting a feel to hit again it's to be seen if you're going to be able to hold the bat the same or, or how you're going to be able to get swings off so I'm with you in that once all these offensive guys come back to one of the most high-powered offenses in the country, I'll feel a lot better. Um, but for now, it's just kind of holding over until they return. And then I think on the pitching side of things, getting Noah Hall back will be it, – it'll be invaluable for him. He's been excellent on the mound. And if I, I hope that they can get healthy before the tournament starts. I think they will, and it's sounding like they will. Um, some of the updates given by Coach Kingston last weekend were encouraging on a lot of the, on a lot of these guys. So once they get back and can return to form, I I will feel I will breathe a sigh of relief on the Gamecocks. Elsewhere in the SEC, we had Vanderbilt sweeping Kentucky. That was a big bounce back for for the Commodores. They had been swept at Tennessee a week before. Uh, they got right with the. Uh, with that sweep, and after winning the first two games, they were down two to one going into the ninth inning. They get a walk off uh, to win. Uh, Alan Espinal delivering the the walk off hit, so that was uh, that was a big development for for Vanderbilt. Nobody was concerned about Vanderbilt, or at least you shouldn't have been concerned about Vanderbilt just because they got swept at Tennessee. Uh, but that was really good to see. It's also really good to see Hunter Owen back on the mound after he had missed a couple of weeks. That's a significant Vanderbilt is just much better when they can run out Holton, Owen and Fitrell as their rotation. Everything sets up much better in the rot- in, in the bullpen behind those guys if they are able to run that, that rotation out there. So uh, encouraging weekend for Vanderbilt. For Kentucky, that was a week to forget. They went 0-4. They also lost to Louisville. Uh, it was uh, a brutal finish with the the walk off on Sunday. Um, Kentucky is now just two and nine uh, over the last few weeks. The schedule's certainly been tough. The series losses have been, you know, Georgia, LSU, Vanderbilt, uh, and A and M. Three of those were on the road. Uh, all that being said, though, things are I guess two and nine in conference play in the last four weeks. But but all that being said, it's. Uh, it's still not not a great not a great spot for for Kentucky to be in. I think if at the 
start of the season, you told Kentucky that they could be 11 and 10 going into May and have a very real shot at making the tournament, you know, and a, a very clear path to making the tournament. I think they take that, but considering they started conference play so well, maybe it feels a little bit differently just knowing that you've lost four straight series now. Yeah, and this isn't the Kentucky team of 2022 or 2021 that has a nice little 14 to 16 game conference slate and then has the bottom fallout. We've seen it just with how they play that this is a legitimately really good ball club. But on the flip side, we've seen how good the rest of the SEC is as well. And especially in these last couple of weekends with LSU and Vanderbilt, um, I mean, those are teams that heading into a weekend, no one in the country is quote unquote expected to beat. Um, but then you kind of look at it, you, that series loss to Texas A&M was a tough one. Um, and then coming on that, you would have really liked to have closed out that Sunday game against Vanderbilt. I know it still would have been a series loss and their fourth straight SEC series loss at that. But to end the week on a positive note with a road win over a top five team, that's something you're, you, you, you'd really like to have built on and heading into their final stretch of games. When we talk about getting to a magic number, they're going to have to scratch and claw their way to a few sec wins. And, and somehow if they could win one of these series to, to not be sweating it out in any type of selection setting, because they've got South Carolina, they go to Tennessee, which now Tennessee um, that's a separate conversation, but I think that they're, they're pretty much just back at this point. I don't know how else to describe it. And then Florida. So the Kentucky is getting into their gauntlet of a schedule at the worst time. Now their RPI is still four, um, but they are going to need to win a few more conference games to really feel good about themselves. And I think that they're a talented enough team to do it. They play an interesting brand of baseball, not really seen nowadays with the almost we're in kind of a new gorilla ball era, but um, they're a slash and dash team. They're really going to push the pace. They try and get you to play into their fast play style. Um, they always try and take an extra base. They're active on the base paths. So it's a little bit of a difficult matchup for teams, um, but they're going to have to figure it out quick and, and somehow pull a rabbit out of the hat and win one of these last few series, I think. I feel like they could just limp into the tournament with just like two more wins. Their RPI is not going to go terribly far south. Uh, it's four right now. Their strength of schedule is one. Their non-conference strength of schedule is eight. Like They're going to be afforded an awful lot of leeway. That being said, that's not how you want to go into the tournament. Like Nobody, nobody wants that to be the way that that goes down. Uh, they, they would be much better served by finding a way to win one of these series. Uh, you know, maybe this weekend against South Carolina, you, you, you can get something while South Carolina is dealing with some of its injuries still. Um, you know, maybe that last weekend against Florida, I think it's going to be hard to go to Knoxville and win, but you know, who knows that Kentucky is a team that, that won a series against Tennessee a year ago. They, they really would have liked winning that game on Sunday though. I think uh, that would have, would have made things feel a lot better for Kentucky right now, but I still feel like they'll be all right. We'll just have to wait and see though, as, uh, as these last three weeks are potentially as, as difficult as, as you'll find, uh, around the country. 
we mentioned Tennessee. You you said that they're back. Uh, they certainly have looked back the last two weeks, sweeping uh, Vanderbilt and then Mississippi State. The offense has exploded. They also beat Wofford thirteen to three on Tuesday, and uh, that's a, a team that is a very good Wofford team. Uh, I don't know how good their midweek pitching is, but uh, Kentucky or uh, sorry Tennessee has uh, has really found its stride offensively over the last couple of weeks, and. You know, they're, they're looking quite good. I Some people are now asking, can they host? Uh, their RPI is up to 16. They're going to have to finish with, a, with a, a strong final three weeks here at Georgia, Kentucky, at South Carolina. The opportunity is certainly in front of them, but they're going to have to win two, if not all three of those series, but, but at least two of those series. They need to find a way to uh, at least go five and four to have a shot at hosting, I would say. Uh, On the flip side, Mississippi State's uh, slide continues in this week. Uh, Following that series uh, at Tennessee, uh, Mississippi State fired pitching coach Scott Foxhall. Uh, Peter, the the fall from the 2021 national championship to where Mississippi State is today has been precipitous. Not something we need to get too terribly deep into here, but right now Mississippi State is is fighting it uh, midseason pitching coach firing, uh, not something we see too commonly in the sport, uh, but it certainly was something that uh, I, Chris Limonis felt like he had to had to make. Mississippi State has the worst ERA uh, in the SEC. They That ERA ranks outside the top 200 nationally. It's just the last couple of years have been really tough on the mound for the Bulldogs. Yeah, and I think that that is where it, where it stems from there, I think, this elongated, I guess you could say championship hangover. Um, it does stem from, I think a lack of performance and then also a lack of staying healthy on the mound. And with that being said in baseball, there are so many things that you cannot control. There's so much that no matter who you surround yourself with on a staff or who you have on a team, you have to go out and play the games and there's, you kind of just have to sit back and watch to an extent And this is such a tough part of sports in general when Scott Foxhall, who is an outstanding human being, when you have to make that excruciatingly difficult decision to let him go, nobody ever likes to see that. It's always kind of a tough day around the sport when someone like that gets let go. Um, I'm sure he'll land on his feet somewhere. But yeah, to, to get back to that 2021 Mississippi State team and and even just a team that's going to be competitive throughout the year, they are going to need to find um, find some more production on the staff. And they, I think that help is on the way, especially next year. They do have a good core of arms that I think to build off of. Bradley Lofton's been a good freshman. Nate Dome from the transfer from Ball State, he had a little bit of a scare against Auburn when he walked off the mound holding his arm. Everyone was kind of reading between the tea leaves as to what that could mean, but turns out it's looking like it's just a forearm issue and he's going to be able to pitch again this year, which is exceptional, not just for this year, but I think next year, if you lost someone like dome to an elbow injury where he was going to be out until late next year, that creates issues for 2024. They've got the best junior college relief pitcher joining them in cam Schulke. So a, a year to forget for the Bulldogs, um, a change that Coach Lamona said it, he could have waited to make but felt like he needed to make now. So um, 
I'm hopeful about them because I do think that Coach Lamonis is a great coach and they're going to have a, a, a good core returning on both sides of the baseball. So crummy last couple of years, if you're a Bulldogs fan, do I think that you're going to be watching a extremely competitive team and one that's going to consistently be in the, the picture for a hosting bid and, and we're talking about late into June going forward? Yes, absolutely, but... Um, kind of a, a tough couple of days down in Starkville. Mississippi State, uh, you know, I mentioned that Kentucky might have the toughest close in, in the country. Well, Mississippi State's certainly in that conversation. This weekend is Arkansas at LSU, home to A&M. Two of those series are at home, so they do have that going for them. But it's uh, it's going to be tough. This is a team that is fighting for a spot in the, uh, in the SEC tournament. They're a game ahead of Mizzou and Ole Miss for that last spot. So that's what they're playing for these final three weeks, but it's that, that that's all they're playing for, for these final three weeks, I think. And that is, uh, it's the unfortunate reality, uh, in Starkville. And I guess we'll see what, where, where Chris Lamonis turns for his next pitching coach. He, uh, he has a head start now in that, in that process this weekend, you know, the sec never fails to deliver, uh, intriguing series. Um, you know what it doesn't have this weekend is finally is uh, is an absolute blockbuster. Uh, that being said, Tennessee at Georgia is intriguing. Georgia took a tough series loss at Ole Miss uh, and really needs a response. Uh, the last time they were at home, though, they uh, they knocked off Arkansas. So tricky series uh, for Tennessee, even as hot as they are. You've got Florida going to A and M. A and M got swept by Arkansas last weekend and could really use a response. Uh, at home, Florida, uh, with another tricky road trip. LSU is at Auburn, and then South Carolina at Kentucky. Those are those are kind of the uh, the headliner series. All of them very good. None of them just I, again. We're, we're none of the top top teams are matching up against each other. But I think this could be a really intriguing slate uh, this weekend. Anything jump out? Uh, any one of those series jump out for you, Peter? Like you said, we've been spoiled with these prize fight blockbuster series it feels like for the better part or even over a month now the one i'll probably be focused on most though is vanderbilt at alabama i think that's a really good one because a alabama is a good team and b it's a good road test for the commodores um their pitching staff is again finally healthy you get a peek into what that's going to look like against a strong lineup and Alabama has some work to be done on the conference side of things for their tournament resume. Yes, they're top 25 in RPI. They are 30 and 15, but they've got to close out their SEC slate strong. And I think if they're able to upset the Commodores at home, that could kickstart a nice little run as they head into their home stretch, which features Texas A&M and Ole Miss and then the SEC tournament. So that that's the one that I'll probably be focused on most. That is a, that's a good call as well. Intriguing series around the conference. Uh, all right, let's go West. Pac-12 has the best series for my money uh, this weekend uh, with Stanford visiting Arizona State. Stanford in first place right now in, in the Pac-12, having knocked off uh, UCLA last weekend. ASU going back home after losing a series at Oregon. And before we dive into this weekend's first place showdown, Let's just take a minute. ASU went up to Oregon, uh, tricky road spot for the Sun Devils, but Oregon 
was able to uh, come away with that series win. Jay Stofall was really good again. And, and the Ducks, uh, the Ducks now in the last, uh, I think, I guess it's three weeks, have beaten both Stanford and ASU at home. And, you know, we're going to talk about ASU and Stanford as a, a showdown for first place in the Pac-12, but I don't think the Ducks can be counted out as uh, potential Pac-12 champions, uh, especially since they own uh, the, the the tiebreaker over over both the uh, the Trees and the Sun Devils. No, absolutely not. And, and you mentioned them as a as a as a nice dark horse to to win the Pac-12 because this weekend with Stanford and, and ASU beating up on each other, they have a chance to gain a couple of games on either of them and. I like them a lot as a group. You mentioned Jay Stofall on the mound has really thrown the ball well. Logan Mercado, we saw a flash of what he can bring against Stanford with a complete game of his own. And then offensively, they're very sneakily one of the deeper lineups in the entire conference um, with the personnel that they have. So I think that they're a, a well-rounded ball club. They're, for my money's worth, I mean – at this point, when comparing them to Stanford, Stanford's a team that I can't really figure out because like we've seen in the past, they they got off to a slow start and then they hit their stride and they're sitting with a top 10 ranking and they're in a good spot, but they, they haven't thrown the ball all that well on the mound. And that's a concern for me. Yes, they do have the personnel there, but they just have not been able to string it together, whether that's the bullpen faltering or or not getting consistent starting pitching. And let's not forget the Ducks handily took a series from him in mid-April. So I I'm with you in that Oregon might be my personal favorite team when we enter into the tournament. I, I think that I would gosh, I'd I'd maybe be most optimistic about what the Ducks can do long term. Yeah, it's uh I, I really like the upside of Stanford. And we could get into that in a second, but the what, what Oregon has been able to do finding finding Logan Mercado, getting him to step up as that number two starter has just been so big for them because Stofall uh, gives them a, a real shot against anyone on Friday night. Like you said, the lineup. Mark Wazikowski does a great job coaching offenses, and it maybe took this Oregon team a little bit of time to find the right group, but they did it. And again, they have uh, they have a really solid offense. Uh, I like the bullpen, although the bullpen is what cost them the the finale uh, on Sunday. But they they I like the pieces down there. I I think it's a team that uh, you know it, they were a little slow uh, out of the gate. They uh, they lost that series. They got swept by UCSB. They, you know, just were. It took them a little while to find their stride. But now that they're they're there, I mean, they've shown they can compete against anyone in the Pac-12. Oregon State seems to be a bit of an Achilles heel. They went one and three against the Beavers uh, this year after losing on Tuesday and losing the series. But otherwise, uh, they they just seem to be in a really good spot. And the fact that they were able to get that series win this weekend is, is huge. And I really like their closing schedule. Um, they go to USC this weekend. That's tricky. USC is not USC is a, uh, you want to face USC uh, away from LA. They're really good at home. They're not good on the road. Uh, they just got swept at UW last weekend and potentially are, are now facing Well, they're definitely in trouble in terms of making the NCAA tournament, but I don't want to go to Dado field. Like they, they play really well there. Uh, But 
Oregon has USC. They have Utah um, on the road. Those are two reasonable road series, all things considered. And they have Washington at home. That one will be tough. But uh, I think it's a reasonable schedule ahead. ASU, we've talked about it. They have a really difficult schedule ahead. Stanford's is not easy either. So while we're about to, again, build this ASU-Stanford series as, as the showdown for first place, do not count out the Ducks. That being said, Peter, let's talk about ASU-Stanford. I hate this matchup for Stanford. Uh, they have to go to Phoenix. Uh, ASU plays much better at home. It's a very offensive ballpark, which suits Stanford just fine. They can uh, they can absolutely hang with uh, the, the Sun Devils offensively. But you, you mentioned it, the, the Cardinal just don't have, like, what are they on the mound? Quinn Matthews is great on Friday night. They have a great bullpen duo of Drew Dowd and Ryan Bruno. Their starters behind Matthews, Matt Scott and Joey Dixon are solid. But that's kind of what, like, like they also throw Brant Pacer a fair amount out of the bullpen. But this is, in large part, just a six-man pitching staff. And I have genuine questions about how far that can take them in the postseason. But I have real questions about what they can do this weekend in a very offensive environment in the desert. Yeah, and you mentioned it. It's kind of outside of what I assume will be seven to eight really quality innings from Quinn Matthews. It's kind of to be seen what you're going to get from that pitching staff. Um, Matt Scott has been, the numbers are there, but he's been a little inconsistent as of late. And then out of the bullpen, it's like you said, Brant Panzer has been solid. Ryan Bruno has been up to 98, but one day he'll, look like the best closer in America. And then the next he will really struggle to find the strike zone. And then outside of that, it's kind of, you know, you got to hope that one of one of the rest of the bullpen arms can give you two to three quality innings. And I think it being in Phoenix creates a real challenge for him. The ball from what I've seen this year, it seems to fly there. And then ASU's offense has, has been prolific for as bad as their pitching has been their offense is hit enough to be able to mask some of the issues on the mound. And they, and I think they add a, a huge piece back to an already deep lineup with Ryan Campos, who had missed some time with injury Campos hitting 413, 26 walks to 12 strikeouts, seven doubles and seven home runs. And they already add him to a lineup that features guys like Luke Kieschel, Jacob Tobias and Luke Hillary hitting 344. And then, Freshman New Contratus has been solid as well. So you get some stability with Quinn Matthews, and I think you're just going to have to hope that his likely quality start or a start that at the very least keeps you within a game is going to rub off on the rest of the staff to turn in a key weekend because ASU, I think, is going to score some runs. And now that's not to say that Stanford's offense isn't conducive to Getting into one of these high-scoring affairs, they also have outstanding bats. It starts with Tommy Troy, and then guys like Braden Montgomery, Eddie Park, and Alberto Rios are also there and have been great. So a little bit of a, like you said, I this is a matchup for Stanford that, that I don't really like. Now for Arizona State, when you talk about their pitching, <laughs> I'm not sure if there's and I hate to phrase it like this, I'm not sure if there's any real matchup that I like for the Sun Devils outside of UCLA, which at this point, I think that's a matchup from a hitting standpoint that 
a lot of staffs would like, but um, no, I, I, I think that it's going to be a pretty, pretty high scoring few days at um, Phoenix municipal stadium. It, it, it's not like Arizona state's pitching staff runs any deeper than, uh, than Stanford. So if you like offense, uh, this is this is definitely the series for you. Uh, Arizona State's gotten a nice boost in the last few weeks as Sean McLean has uh, has has gone back uh, for for them, and I I, I think that that's uh, that's just added further length to this lineup. Luke Kieschel's been been playing really well, and um, you know Ryan Campos has been out, but they uh, they just they just keep on keeping on. It's a it's a great offensive team. It's a it's a scary lineup, and. Uh, you know, it's a uh, it's a team that that is is really going to make you pay if you make mistakes on the mound, and you know, so I I, I think that from a, from an offensive perspective, this is uh, I don't know, I certainly the best the Pac-12 is going to provide from an offensive perspective, but I, I would put it up there uh, just in terms of lineups. I mean, th- these are if you rank just the twenty five best lineups in the country, I'm sure we would have Stanford and Arizona State somewhere in maybe even in the top 15 on that list without a doubt. And a quick point. Um, well, I think the Sun Devils would love to have gotten Sean McClain back this weekend. They, <laughs> Nick, they Nick actually McClain. got his brother, Nick back. <laughs> who's Too been many McClain's. Yeah. And Nick has, Nick has six home runs in 12 games hitting 380 in his first 50 ABs. Um, so no, he's been excellent. Like you said, the PAC 12 is usually a pitching center conference. It's usually viewed as the, most pro-like conference with sound defense and and guys that play wise beyond the years, their West Coast style. But this is this has some East Coast flair to it. And I'd agree. I not only would these two teams rank in the top 25 in lineups, I think you could go even higher for them. So um with all that said, combined with the implications it has on the Pac 12 standings, Arizona State from a hosting perspective really needs this one. Um, I think that if they lose this one, they, it would take a lot for them to vault themselves back into that picture. So a lot on the line this weekend in Phoenix. Yeah, I would say this is must win for ASU if, uh, if they would like to host. Their RPI is, uh, uh, where are they now? They're sitting at 31 as we go into this. That number is not good enough. Winning two against Stanford would, would be a big boost to that. And then ASU continues to have a, a difficult schedule from here. So the, that that's a double-edged sword that means that you can get real rpi help but it also means that the games are more challenging and so uh it, asu looking for a, a big series win this weekend and for stanford i mean i have them as a top eight national seed and you know i don't feel amazing about that um they, they their rpi needs the help as well that playing uh well this weekend on the road would uh would provide Elsewhere in this in the in the Pac-12, I mentioned that um, Oregon State uh, beat Oregon on Tuesday. Oregon State has uh, has really been on a nice surge as well. They uh, you know they, they they just keep winning games. And Washington swept USC and Peter. Your Huskies they were they were looking down for a second, but that was a. Uh, that was a really strong sweep and puts them right back into the NCAA tournament picture. I was going to say in my, in my first ever Omaha sleeper projection, I was so fired up selfishly to see, to see Washington get a huge series win over, over a strong USC team. And it featured a couple of come from behind wins on Friday night, 
was a really exciting one when they came back from from a multi-run deficit and Kobe Morales won it in the 10th with a two-run home run. And then they also come back on Saturday from um, a, a late-inning deficit. They're down 6-1 in the 6th, and they come back and score four in the 8th to win. And, I mean, I wrote about it at length in our college baseball preview, but this is a really strong team on both sides of the baseball, and they've – while it's been a little bit of a struggle to find consistency at times um, where it's all clicking for them, they, when all is said and done, when you're looking at it right now, that they have gotten um, production from, from guys everywhere with AJ Guerrero, Cam Clayton has turned himself into a, a likely day two draft pick, Kobe Morales, Will Simpson, and then on the mound, Kiefer Lord has been excellent. I think he's even pitched better than what his, what the back of the baseball card shows, um, three, seven, six ERA with 66 K's and 55 innings. And the stuff has been great. He's been up to 98 with his fastball. The breaking balls have shown flashes. So, um, while I think as a whole, they'd like to be throwing the ball a little bit better. We've seen, like you've said, we've seen flashes of, of a really good Washington team and, and one that can pose trouble to, to I think the majority of teams out there, and I think that to a lesser extent than what the South Carolina LSU series left us to be desired, the game, th- the lack of a game three in that series is is one of the greater mysteries in college baseball. Um, not why it happened, but just what what could have been. But Washington and Arizona State played in mid-April. Um, Washington took the first game of the series. ASU took the second, setting up for a a pretty big rubber match, and it got canceled. So who knows what would have happened there. Um, But I'm very excited about the Huskies as they head into their home stretch. Now, they have Washington State, which is a rivalry series, which is a never easy one. And then at Oregon is is going to be very difficult. So they're going to need to keep – they're going to need to continue to play – sound baseball to to um to remain on the right side of the bubble and and get into the tournament but that was a that was a nice series sweep of of usc before we get out of here one last one to acknowledge uh and that is maryland going to indiana and sweeping the hoosiers last weekend in what was the showdown of the top two teams in the big 10 standings uh, IU came in with, uh, you know, they were in first place. They were projected as a host. They had all these things going for them. And then Maryland just absolutely took it to them. Uh, the reigning champs reminded everyone why they were the preseason favorites, why they were the reigning champs, uh, outscored the Hoosiers 43-12 to 12 on the weekend. Uh, Maryland now into first place in the Big Ten, a game ahead of Michigan State, two games ahead of Indiana, Michigan, and Nebraska, uh, who this weekend heads to College Park. Uh, the Terps trying to become the first team to repeat this Big Ten regular season champs since Indiana did it in 2013-2014. Can't say enough about what Maryland did this weekend. Uh, just an incredible offensive performance. Matt Shaw went crazy. Uh Nick LaRusso, Eddie Halkaban, Kevin Keister, like every everyone uh, really showed up for the Terps. Uh, and that's not a surprise. That's a team that averages more than nine runs per game. But to to have uh, that kind of offensive performance and that kind of series, I mean, that that's a place where 
the experience that the Terps have, especially offensively, I think really, really showed up. It, it was something we discussed last week, and I thought it was a great point. I think you had brought it up that Maryland has largely flown under the radar this year. I, I think a little bit unfairly due to what they did last year with their 48 and 14 record. They host a regional. They had played themselves into a top 10 ranking in some polls. And then this year they got off to a slow start. People had kind of forgotten about the Terps, I think until this weekend or at least recently. And we saw this weekend what they can do to teams in Indiana. Yes. Am I a little less high on the Hoosiers as I was last week? Of course, it's hard not to be after a, a dismantling at home like that, but they are still a quality team in a good ball club. I think it's just a testament to what Maryland can does. Like you mentioned, Matt Shaw continues to play himself into a probably a top 20 overall selection. He's been excellent. Nick LaRusso has, has been, I mean, he's posted the best numbers of, of anyone on the Maryland team. He's hitting nearly 370. He's got more extra base hits than he does strikeouts. His 69 RBIs place him top 10 nationally in the category. So um, they've, they're a really dangerous squad. And then LaRusso and Shaw are just the tip of the iceberg. Eddie Hacopian, like you said, and Luke Schligger are guys that, that also had good weekends. And then Elijah Lambros has, has also come on as of late. He had a four home run weekend or a three home run weekend as well. And their pitching staff um, has been good, not great to this point. Um, but against a good Indiana lineup, I think that they, they finally started to hit their stride. And Nick Dean is someone I think that, he got hit around in the early parts of the year for the first month and a half or so. And then as Big 12 play has heated up, he's been excellent. He's strung together four quality starts in a row, and it has been a huge reason as to why Maryland's been able to win so many series in a row and, and return to form. So I think that they're absolutely the class of the Big 10 in looking around the conference. I mean – the only other team I think you could look at at this point is Indiana and maybe Iowa, but we saw what Maryland did to Indiana and um, Maryland also has a series win over Iowa. So it's, it's difficult to not say that the big 10 again is it, it runs through college park. Maryland has not lost a big 10 series since uh, early April, 2021. Uh, they went to Nebraska and lost two out of three uh, since then. They've won every series. It's uh, it's an impressive, impressive program that they've got going. Uh, impressive. I think that's 19 straight Big Ten series. Uh, they got a tricky one this weekend with Nebraska coming in. Uh, Nebraska is better than their numbers indicate. But um, yeah, like you said, it's, it's hard to pick against Maryland at this point. And I, the Terps are, are not a team that you want to face. They've got good starting pitching. They've got this really impressive offense. They're experienced. They're, uh, they seem like they're the whole package. And uh, it's a really tough, tough weekend for, for Indiana. Uh, Jeff Mercer, uh, after the weekend, said that he's humble enough to say, we just got beat this weekend. And, you know, I, you, you just have to pick yourself up from that. Easier said than done, maybe. We'll, we'll see what the Hoosiers have going forward. But uh, important that they flush this and, and bounce back because they still have the ability. Like you said, they're a good team. They can pitch. They, they got pounded offensively or they got pounded this weekend. Uh, Maryland had 50 hits in three games, uh, but that's not indicative of what Indiana is. They just have to uh, have to bounce back and, and get back to, uh, 
to what they can be. And, and this is still a team that, that can be a, a, a dangerous team once we get to the postseason. So uh, we'll have to uh, have to see what, what comes of that. And like you said, Indiana, they're a very talented team. They throw the ball particularly well. And I think that unfortunately for for Northwestern and and Coach Foster's crew, that this is a good get right weekend for Indiana making yes. a trip to, to Evanston. So uh, a nice opportunity for the Hoosiers to to flush last weekend and maybe pull a reverse Maryland this weekend. Uh, yes, this is definitely the not the weekend you want to be facing Indiana if you're Northwestern. But uh, we'll uh, we'll have uh, all that, or we'll have plenty to talk about on next week's edition of the the Baseball America College Podcast. Sorry, Big Twelve fans, uh, we didn't quite get to you this week. K State big time series win against Texas Tech, and that's exciting because the Wildcats are uh, into second place in the Big Twelve. Uh, I promise we'll get to some Big 12 talk next week. So make sure you're subscribed to the Baseball America podcast on your favorite podcasting app, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find us and hit that subscribe or follow button. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Peter is at Peter G. Flaherty. And all of the work is over at BaseballAmerica.com. We'll have a new poll next week. Peter will get you ready for this weekend with the, the weekend preview piece. Uh, all kinds of uh, all kinds of great stuff this time of year over on the website. So make sure to check that out. For Peter, I'm Teddy. We'll talk to you next time. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.